Put them over your heart. Say this with me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. We're going to continue in a series that I started last week called Vine Life. That's V as in Victor, Vine Life. And our text is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. If you'd join me there. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. Starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and it withers. And, and the branches are gathered, and then thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. I want to pause in our reading just to make a statement here. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Just take a moment and think about that. God loves me as much as he loves his son, Jesus. Now that's some sort of incredible love. You say, even when I fail, even when I'm disobedient, even when I know that I've done some things or said some things this past week that weren't pleasing to the Father, his love for you never changes. It can't be watered down. It cannot be altered. It cannot be adjusted. He loves us the same each and every day. Isn't that tremendous? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Isn't that incredible? He wants my joy to be full. Every day ought to be full of joy. I I, I don't believe in a Christian life that's sort of a mix of downer and upper. I don't believe in having bad days as a believer. Now, I, I go through tests. Every Christian has tests and trials and... But that doesn't equate to a bad day because here's what James said, that when you're in the middle of diverse trials, count it all joy. So even when you're having a bad day, it's not a bad day. We're supposed to be full of joy. You say, I just don't, I can't get my mind around that because I've had some pretty bad days and I had a bad week and I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not tracking with you, pastor. Well, that's because... You misunderstand joy. You, you equate happiness with joy. 
I'm not always happy. But if I'm aware of the word, if I stand on the word, I can be full of his joy, even when I'm not necessarily happy. Oh, quit preaching, Jeff, and go on. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. Say it. I am a friend of Jesus. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Here's the premise of our series. God designed us for intimate relationship and face-to-face conversation with him. Anytime we substitute our religious practice, forms, favorite expression, act of obedience, or even our learned language for his presence. Again, whenever we substitute religious Practice, forms, acts of obedience, or even learned language for his presence, that's life in the vine. We become a fruitless branch separated from vine life, from true life. Now, I've subtitled my message this morning, Facebook, Soda Straws, and Freedom from Religion. Facebook, soda straws, and freedom from religion. Yeah, I know. I'm anxious to see how this turns out, too. (laughs) So, quick review from our text. The vine is Jesus. Now, we learned that that was incredible teaching back in his day and not well received because Israel thought they were the vine. In fact, God had said, you are the vine. Israel was still steeped in religion. And as far as they were concerned, they were God's vine, planted by him divinely in their land, and there were no other people chosen by God. Jesus enters the scene and says, no, stop. I'm the vine. I am God's vine. Not you. I am God's vine. God put me here, and you don't choose yourself, I choose you. In fact, you can't even be connected to God apart from me. If you're not in me, if you're not connected to me, you don't have life, God's going to take you as a branch, separate you into a pile, and burn you. How do you suppose that message would go over from most of our pulpits on Sunday? I mean, mean, if I were to preach like that, we think Jesus was some milk toast and average and just, you know, kind of gooey. And Jesus preached some very difficult things. And this was one of his most difficult, confrontive messages because it tore the very fabric of all that Israel and the Jewish people believed about 
their selves and their position in God. Secondly, the husbandman is the father and the branches are Christ followers. We learn that the word abide means to wait for, to endure, to endure without yielding or giving up, to bear patiently, to remain in, to accept without objection, and to remain stable, to continue in place. In short, abiding means to continue or to endure, but it's about being rather than doing. Most churches teach a blend of grace and behavior modification. And the New Testament teaches us that if you add anything to the gospel of grace, that you you need to be careful because there's a curse that follows it. We can't add anything to this gospel of grace that Jesus taught. We do not teach a gospel of behavior modification. We teach a gospel of God's love and grace. And when his power comes into my life, his power changes me through his grace to be like him. Not by me doing, but by me relaxing in him and being what he made me to be. I do not gain victory over sin by trying to stop sinning. You will never be victorious over those habits and those issues of life by trying to stop them. You become victorious in life and in the Christian walk by resting in his grace and in who he's already made you to be in Christ. It's about being in Christ, not doing for Christ. Now, God desires intimacy with us. He designed us as humans to have fellowship directly with him. But because Adam fell, there was an entire system of worship and obedience and communion set up in order for the nation of Israel to be able to have some semblance of relationship back to God. You know, you you learned it in Bible school, anyone that's gone to church or attended Sunday school, or read their Bible, knows that this whole system of religion was set up for the Hebrews to try to have some semblance of relationship with God. But none of it satisfied. There was an outside tabernacle. There were sacrifices up the wazoo. There was a priesthood. There was ceremonies and laws and rituals. And and, and in, in an effort to obey and follow every jot, every tittle, to be sure every I was dotted, It all produced just more death and bondage because it never transformed the human heart or brought one closer to God. None of it. Not a bit of it. And so Jesus comes into that religious society of the Jewish nation and he says, look, I'm the vine. If you're connected to me, you will have the life God promised Adam and Eve in the garden. If you're not connected to me, you will die. You'll become like a dead branch and the end of life for you will not be good. And now enters in another new religion. Fast forward several thousand years and we have Facebook. (laughs) Facebook. It's the new religion of our day. 
I mean, after all, look at all it promises. Now, you may not be familiar with Facebook, and maybe that's a choice you made. I mean, perhaps in name, but you, you don't practice this religion. So let me give you just a few details. Did you know that Facebook recently paid Instagram $1 billion for its mobile photo app business? Just wrote them a check. Monthly active users are well over 900 million. One in seven people in the world have a Facebook account, dear ones. One in seven. The daily active users are over 526 million people on any given day are communicating and worshiping and falling down the feet at the feet of this thing called Facebook with a promise, with a promise of relationship that will empower you to be all that you can be. Isn't that what Israel wanted? Isn't that what, wasn't that the promise? In fact, Satan promised them. Why, you can partake of this tree. It's no problem. God just knows you'll become like him, knowing good from evil. Facebook, you can see everybody's dirt, and you hopefully are seeing a little bit of good, and you make your own judgment. It sets us all up as gods with the power of a monitor in front of us. We can write. We can communicate the ugly, the good. We can remain anonymous if we'd like to fire off something. It's the religion of Facebook. 83 million active users access Facebook every day from their phone (laughs) only their phone all day long facebooking sending messages and between texting and tweeting i am not a twit i'm sorry i haven't gotten into that i i don't i don't tweet or twit or whatever it's called i don't have a twitter account or Twitter account or whatever it's called. I, I have a Facebook account, I admit. But I, I rarely, you know, get on my phone and just walk around all day Facebooking. In fact, most of my Facebook activity is responding to you. Crazy congregation wanting to communicate over Facebook. What a religion this thing is. 300 million photos are uploaded every day to Facebook. 3.2 billion likes and comments are made or posted every day. Now get this figure. Facebook is host to 125 billion friendships. Really? And their revenue for the first quarter of 2012 was 1.058, say it, billion. Their revenue for the first quarter of 2012, over a billion dollars. 
That's why they don't have any problem paying a billion dollars for Instagram and just buying the company and making a bunch of people rich as they did. They have 9 million Facebook apps of which many of you play constantly. Farmville is the biggest single one. Farmville is a Facebook app. Now, folks, I'm sorry, but let's get real about this thing called relationship. There are four things required to have true relationship, and Facebook meets none of them. You ready? Number one, attention that fulfills essential emotional needs. Number two, supportive and affirming verbal communication. Number three, sharing. I mean as in giving and receiving and not a text message or a comment back and forth. I mean real genuine sharing and receiving. And then get this, number four, calming stormy waters. Real relationships become really real when there's a dynamic of calming stormy waters for one another, participating in life together. You see, life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. I wish I had come up with that, but I didn't. It's anonymous. Someone once said. Now, folks, in that those four things are required for relationship, do you understand better why I will never develop relationship with you by email? Some of you have tried. You can write the longest emails. Boy, when I see one of those come into my inbox, I just about... <laughs> uh, there's not an adjective. Do you understand what I mean? There's just not an adjective. And then people can go on and on expressing emotions and feelings and heart. And, and then I'm supposed to respond intelligently with feelings and emotion and heart and calm the stormy waters. And dear one, email to me is a tool to in a sentence or two alert you to a date or a fact and then tell you goodbye And depending on the level of my happiness, I may not want to talk to your face right now. An email allows me to do that without offending you. I just sign off and you're gone. <laughs> the beauty of email. Don't try to engage me that way. When you have something meaningful that has opinion to it, that's heartfelt, that's engaging, where there's caring or calming the stormy wa water, or a difference of opinion with me about something. Call me. Or in the su subject line of your email, put IMPORTANT. Big letters, all caps. EMERGENCY. Got to talk to you. And then more than likely, depending on the level of it, we'll make an appointment because I want to sit across from your face. I want to see your eyes. I want to watch the light. I want to see your hand gestures. <laughs> now keep it clean. I, I, 
My wife talks with her hands, okay? This is constant. They, they, it's not possible. You, that's right. But there's so much about communication that's in the face alone, let alone gestures and body movement. A hundred and twenty-five billion relationships in the religion of Facebook? No. No, I'm sorry. I don't buy that. And the problem is that's exactly how we treat God. He sent a friend request, and we respond with Facebook-type religion. In fact, God, I really don't want to see your face. That's what the Israelites said. We're afraid of your power. Isn't that what they said? Lord, all this smoke and this glory, this Shekinah, outpouring habitation glory. Lord, it scares us. It takes us to another place outside of ourselves where we might actually find ourselves completely surrendered to your will and consumed by your love and then given a command to love others and that scares us. I'm just not that type. And so, Lord, I'd rather just sort of Facebook you and I can keep you at a distance. And God says, I'm sorry, you're like a branch not plugged into the vine. That's not vine life. That's not what I signed up for. God wants face-to-face, real relationship with you and with me. And Jesus now redefines intimacy. He says, I am the vine. And you Christ followers are the branches. And I'm sending you a friend request. John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He already considers you a friend, even before you accept you're his friend. You know when he did that? When he laid down his life on that cross and died. Father, forgive them. They don't want a relationship with you. They don't want to know your heart. They don't want to be face-to-face. They want religion. They want a tabernacle. They want a system of priests to speak for them. They want a system of laws and do's and don'ts. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And he died. And on Jesus was put all of our religion, all of our distance, All of our masks, all of our texting and Facebooking God, and it was removed. And Jesus says, now I am the vine. You are the branch. And every branch that's plugged into me, you are going to have true vine life. Jesus doesn't want us to do more for him. He wants us to be with him more. Now, in verse 2 of our text, it says, Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. This word, takes away, this phrase, means to lift up. 
Now, you have to remember what he's talking about. Vines, if they're not trained along a pole or a hedge, will just grow wildly along the ground. They, they have no particular direction of their own. So it was common in those days to erect latticework or to build a hedge about five feet, four and a half feet tall, six feet tall, and train the vine up the, the hedge. Then as the branches would spurt off of the vine, they then, after a period of three years of pruning and grooming, they would begin to bear the grapes. Now, if the husbandman, the, the one tending the garden, came and found that a cluster of grapes was not healthy or not bearing life, then he would take the cluster of grapes and work with the vines and arrange them and lift the grapes up on top of the hedge. If he found that the grapes, in fact, the reverse of that is true, if he found that they were bearing too much fruit, he would lift them away from the earth up on the hedge where they were more susceptible to the elements. If he found that the, grew, the grapes were anemic, then he would lower them on the hedge and put them down closer to the ground and the earth where there was moisture and heat, the presence of the Holy Spirit. So he would take away and he would take up or lift up. So I'm not convinced that verse 2 speaks of judgment necessarily as much as it does the husbandman tending the vines so that there could be maximum fruit. But one thing's for sure, if you are not plugged into the vine, you are not going to bear fruit. Here's what Weiss translation says of verse 4. Maintain a living communion with me, and I with you, just as the branch is unable to be bearing fruit from itself as a source unless it remains in a living union with the vine... So neither you, unless you maintain a living communion with me. Thank you, Jesus, for setting us free from Facebook religion. Now, at this point, you're asking, hmm, where do soda straws come in? Well, I'm going to show you. Ed, my trusty servant, would you please hold this here? Now, this is the vine. And I have a number of branch-like things here. You are the branches. He is the vine. How many of you know we start out pretty dark in life? And you know what? Even, even religious attempts to come to God, to know God, to get close to God fail. Religion always fails because it can't really take away the dirt, does it? You see how dirty that is? You can't see it from the distance that y'all are at, but you see the dirt all over that? That's how religion leaves you. 
it tries to remove that coat, but really you're still quite dirty inside. But on the other hand, the new birth through Christ peels away that old life of who we were. Look how clear that is. Can you see how there's no dirt on there? Completely clean. Now the problem is, is that after we become born again, if we don't get connected to the vine, we become a branch. In fact, what happens for a lot of people that go forward in a service and they accept Jesus, especially if it's real emotional, accept Jesus as their Savior and they shake the preacher's hand and they're crying and they go home, things are really good but they don't get connected into the vine. A lot of this starts happening again. In fact, pretty soon, there's really not a lot of difference between what they are now and what they used to be. Now, it can be argued theologically whether or not this is still in God's love and is going to go to heaven (laughs) because after all it's the inside that counts even though we're living the way that we are I'm not going to have that theological argument with you this morning I'm just going to say that if this is your life or any sort of proportion of it you're living way outside of vine life and remember there are branches in verse 7 that he takes completely away, puts in a pile, and they're going to be burned. Yeah, you said it. So God takes us and he puts us in a vine. He fits us as branches in the vine. And after we get connected to the vine, life begins to flow. And the Bible talks about that life in a variety of ways. In fact, it says that some of us may have a (laughs) 30-fold. Some of us may have a a (laughs) 60-fold. Not full yet. I'm still growing, praise God. Amen. Or... Some of us, praise God, we've been walking with the Lord. We've been in the vine. (laughs) Hundredfold return. Isn't that good? You say, well, you know, that's the thing about Christianity. They all look the same. No, they're not. No, they're not at all. All the same. In fact, in Christ, there's quite a variety He's not full yet. He's working on it. Oh, here's a new believer. Praise God. We're going to work on him. Woo, glory. Here's somebody been walking with the Lord. They're packed. Woo. And, And, you know, we need good foundational people that are packed full. Oh. This guy's a 60 percenter. He's working on it. Ah, let me get him plugged in here. And here's another 30 percenter. 
And Jesus said, you know, it's interesting because there are individuals who come to Christ, but then, or they hear the word, they're in a church service, or they, they, they're being witnessed to or whatever, but then that seed just sort of falls on the ground and it gets trampled and it's unproductive. And, and then Jesus said there's those who, they start out and they hear the word and they're all excited and they start coming to church. But then cares and riches and, and the sunshine comes out and, and, it, and it starts just sucking the life right out of them and they give up on Christianity. And then we're told that there's a, a, another group, and I don't even know if I, yeah. I mean... They get excited about the word and they start growing and they actually have been walking with the Lord and so forth. But up, up comes an offense. I mean, somebody hurts them or they hear something or, or a family in the church says something about them. And boy, it just starts sucking all the life out of them. And they get offended. The word says it uses the word offended so that the word then is no longer good. And so instead of, instead of being connected to the vine, they get cut off and outside of it and it says they turn away but then there's those that stay they're producing 30 and 40 and 100 fold and then unfortunately we have two extremes we have individuals who for some reason never do start bearing fruit Jesus says, if there's no fruit, then I cut it off. It's going to go in the pile, like this group right here, and it's going to get burnt. Okay, so he does, he does some pruning. Now, if it's just not bearing enough fruit, okay, he'll work on it. Ah, there. Another 10% this year, I bet. You, you've been growing like a weed. Ah, I see another 20% in you this year. That's great. Ah, no fruit at all. Hmm. You need to be cut back. That's pruning, and that's the extreme of not growing at all and having no fruit. But then there's, there's those that are just fat. <laughs> I mean... Every meeting, every Bible study, everything that blows through town. I mean, they don't have time for their spouse. They don't have time, in fact, to participate in their church because they're down at Brother Big So-and-So's meeting getting prayed for and prophesied to. They're fat. You know, it's interesting when you're that fat. You just... You just don't fit either. And that's problematic because this represents the church. And this is where the life of the vine is flowing. So you, old fat one, better watch out and better do something to eat a little leaner and maybe go get connected into the vine where you can stay in life because it's all about vine life. Thank you, Ed. John fifteen fifteen, I no longer call you servants, 
For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you my friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You know what freedom from religion is, really? Love. And you cannot love or be loved apart from the vine. Romans 13.8 Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled all of the law. Jesus said the same thing in the Gospels. The greatest commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And a second is like unto it. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two is all the prophets... And all that the law states on those two, loving God and loving each other. May I ask you, if you're not rightly connected to the vine, how are you going to love? Do you know love is not something I just have for myself? And if you think you truly love God with all your heart, but you're not connected to a good, strong local church where you're loving even unlovely fellow Christians, you're kidding yourself. The New Testament is very clear. Do not say you love God and yet you are separated from the local church and you don't spend time with his body learning to love. Pastor Jeff, you don't understand. Every church I've been to, they've done me wrong. They've hurt me. Uh, I just can't find a, a local church. Christians are some of the hardest people to get along with. Hello. You bet they are. Often some of the worst. Why? Because we're so caught up in behavior-based religion. And so since we live out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, rather than the vine which produces love and life, then we're constantly judging someone's morals and whether they fit and whether they're part of our group. And so because we think they don't or they did something we don't like, we get offended. And living out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will constantly be offended at something. You will constantly find reasons not to go to church. You'll find all sorts of reasons not to be involved. And you will never, I promise, find a perfect church or the church you're really happy with. Why? Because you're measuring constantly. You're setting yourself up as God, judging between the knowledge of not just evil, but good also. But see, when you're plugged into the vine and life and love is flowing, you don't even take offense. When somebody says something ugly or does something wrong in church, I mean one of your church buddies, one of your church bros, you, I mean, it might affect your happiness for a day or two, but then you consider it all joy. You get your attitude adjusted and you realize even if they don't have a change of heart, I have vine life flowing in me and I'm going to walk in love. I just do not pick up this offense. Walking in love is absolutely the key to all religion. Amen. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together for perfect harmony. Oh, you didn't hear that. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, and above all of these, and in that particular chapter of Colossians, he's talking about putting off the sin nature and stripping off that old man and not lying and all of this moral list, you know, and he says, above all of it, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Oh, you got to like that. And so that's what he says. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but you're not servants anymore. I call you friends. My friends know what I'm doing because they're connected into me and they're full of love. They don't walk around looking for the perfect church. They get involved where they can at the local church where I've led them. And there's just life and love flowing out of them. And then he said something very powerful in that verse. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made it known to my friends. Dear ones, God is constantly speaking to us all day long. Did you know that there are dozens of radio stations right now broadcasting in this room? Do you hear them? You don't, do you? How come? You don't have a receiver plugged in to the vine. Dear ones, God speaks all day long, not just to guide us in those big weighty decisions, but he's constantly doing things like I sure love you. <laughs> You're just incredible. Do you know how pleasing you are to me? Say, when you get down there downtown today, on that lunch, and you're sitting across from Joe, tell Joe that it's going to be okay. There's a big sum of money coming this month and he's going to be able to pay off all his bills. Tell him that. By the way, love what you're wearing. <laughs> your shoes, your... Th- Man. Oh, you didn't tell your wife you loved her before you left. Text her. Oh, no. <laughs> Text her. Not. No way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> All right, stand to your feet, everybody. Praise the Lord. That's all we're going to do this morning.